Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, guess what? Before we get into it, you might have heard, I am drafted to the two Ramagpies as a part of the Carlton Draft. I'm going to be playing a game, dominating, kicking six, and then resetting at quarter time. For the first time in Carlton Draft history, one lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Erin Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good's that? If you want to enter this now to get her down to your football club, visit thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup, exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week on the show, absolutely um, incredible episode, incredible opportunity to sit down with some really, really incredible people. Um, Sal Tay and Mick Cronin from um, The Bridge Project. And this has been a pot I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Um, as I was working at Carlton back in the day, I used to go down and, and do some stuff with Rebuild and The Bridge Project and, and work in the Youth Justice Centre and also in some of the adult prisons, which, um, you know, help people um, that are incarcerated or at risk or at risk of offending um, transition into um, the public from incarceration and teaches them, you know, life skills and and also how to get into the workforce as well. So they do absolutely unbelievable things. And today, we're really lucky enough to get Salte in, who's a who's a success story of the program, um, who's done unbelievable since um, you know getting out of of jail. And um, yeah, he shares his story today, which was was absolutely mind blowing. And, and before we get into it as well, I just want to make sure you know today's episode we do talk about violence, we do talk about some really confronting issues, and 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 obviously some things that we definitely don't condone. But I think it was worth getting the full picture of what you know he was going through in his life and what he'd. Um, what crimes he had committed to give full context into his story. But, yeah, just to make sure that we definitely do not um, condone any of this stuff. Um, as a Bridge Project would say in their um, quote, it's everyone makes mistakes. We believe that all young people deserve a second chance. And I think this one today gives a really good outline of that. But, yeah, basically, Saturday's story, he grew up in, in Shepparton. Um, you know, he, he fell into a, a bit of a life of crime when a few things didn't fall uh, his way. He um, fell in with some wrong people. He got involved in drugs and alcohol and ultimately with Zen started to commit um, some pretty serious crimes and, and ended up in jail. And um, it took for a pretty crucible moment in his life when he got out of jail to, to turn things around. But since doing that, he's been able to turn his life around. Um, he took on the custody of his sister and adopted another two children. He's married and um, works um, at the Rebuild Project and does incredible things. He's even really, really high up and even over the Christmas period took over and ran the whole program. So this story from growing up into a life of crime, drugs and alcohol addiction, getting out of jail into being a fully fledged, um, you know, contributing member of society is really, really incredible. And it's something that um, I was blessed to, to sit down and have a chat with. So make sure you check it out. Really excited about this one. Cannot thank Salte and Mick enough for coming in and, and having a chat. And thank you to them for doing all the incredible work they do. Hi fam, it's Dylan's mum, Deborah. 
This is Dylan Friends. He's like, you can embarrass yourself. And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Be arrogant. Didn't know all yeah. seven. So I've been in a bad team for 10 years and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy. They had no other way to get out of the cave and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Salter Mick, welcome to Dylan Friends. Thanks for having us, Dylan. Good to see you again. How are you? How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thank good? you. Um, appreciate you having me on. Mate, I'm excited. How good is this? It's been a long time in the making. Now, we've got three people on the pod today, for those listening. Um, Mick, we've been mates for a long time now. Yeah, probably. I think we met... About 2016, end of 2016, start of 2017. Introduced yep. by Mick Malthouse, I think. Yeah, yeah, very good connection from Mickey. Yeah, yeah good the little, The milkshakes. He was, um, <laughs> he was good. <laughs> I never called him that, mate. I no, I never, not to his face. <laughs> anyway, I, I never called him that either. And we've just met today. Yeah, yeah. Just Officially been. friends. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> mate, excited as um, for today. And I think a good way to would be sort of to tee this one up is maybe throw to you firstly, Mick, and we'll talk about how we first met, um, how this all came about, and we've been teeing this one up for a long time and so, so excited to finally get you in and chat about what all the amazing work you're both doing. Um, And then, you know, so I'll tell your story as well, which is is incredible, which we'll definitely hear. Yeah, no, pleasure to be here, uh, Dil. Um, So, yeah, look, as I say, we met back in 2017, and at the time um, I was managing the YMCA Bridge Project, and you were playing football for Carlton. Yes, um, and we were running programs in prisons. So for what the Bridge Project was doing back in them days was it was going into youth detention centres and prisons and it was um, assessing young people and preparing them for employment. And then upon that, we were like transitioning them or placing them in with other employers and then supporting them to hopefully reduce their recidivism rates, opportunity, or the chance of going back into prison and create career pathways. So that was back in them days and then I think at that time as well we also then had our social enterprise come about about 2010 which was which was rebuild which we mm. did which is where Sate walks but I think at that stage we met because you were volunteering um to go into the prison and you would have been part of our walk running some life skills program which was going into Metropolitan Romance Center and it was basically teaching the prisoners in there preparing them for the release but doing stuff like conflict resolution goal setting and um, budgeting nutrition and so forth and yeah, and you kindly, uh, kindly put your hand up to go into the prison. Uh, I don't know sure if you knew what you were getting in no, for, but uh, yeah, you were in there. I definitely was. I don't want to. I don't want this to come off like oh, I'm this saint and I was, uh, you know, offering up my time. Mick Moldhouse being the coach was sort of putting his hands up to say who would want to be doing this, and um, you know, I was thinking this could get me a few brownie points here if I, you know, started volunteering <laughs> and might even get me a game. It didn't get me a game in the end, but. Um, in that, I actually found a real, real passion and real love for for going in. Um, at that stage, it was mainly uh, the Royal Park Youth Justice Centre for the kids down there mm. at um, at Royal Park, which was awesome. We're going in and working with the boys and girls, um, and and yeah, found a real, real love for for that, which was which is awesome, and it's probably where we got, we got to connect. But I think it's something that I've always wanted to um, have a bit of a deeper chat on why you do this, and especially yeah. Saturday's stories today about, you know, his journey and, and, and going through it all. So, um, yeah, again, thank you so much for, for coming in. Nah, pleasure. And, um, and thank you for actually allowing us to have that, to be able to tell the story. 
because part of what we do is is trying to you know start conversations, create advocacy, and and and, and you know put a spotlight, I suppose, on the positive work that can be done yeah. and the changes can happen from young people as well. So you know, um, talking to Sate today and, and about YMCA Rebuild, a social enterprise, um, yeah, we, we couldn't be happier to be here, mate. Awesome, Sate, how are you? Yeah, good. You're an OG podcast, right? This isn't your first rodeo, is it? You already know the mics. <laughs> no. You already you were rearranging it before. You know what you're yeah. doing. Nah, yeah, I've been on. Um, I think once or twice, but still get nervous. Yeah. No, you're looking good. I'm excited for it. The first thing you picked out in the studio as well was the nice pair of uh, Jordans behind me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I've, um, they look beautiful. You like? Yeah. Do you like Jordans? I do. I do. Uh, too expensive for me to collect though. No, nah, don't worry. Yeah. JD Sports are going to sort you out. I promise. Yeah, I hope oh, now so. that it's on it's record, now, it's now on that it's on record, I've really got to fucking sort this out. So we'll, you better deliver. We'll, no, I will. We'll definitely get it. Big size twelve foot, by the way. Yeah. Um, I'm a size nine, so just to, that's just to, if someone's listening, just to put into context of the the size difference here. Um, mate, again, thank you so much for coming in. Extremely yes. blessed to to sort of have you in the studio today, hear your story, and again, just a big. Um, I want to say congratulations on what you've done. I'm thinking that's right, but but it's incredible. Like you should be extremely proud of what you've been able to do, and I can't wait to unpack it all today. Mm-hmm. Firstly, tell us a bit about yourself, um, where you grew up, what you like as a kid, and and um, how you came to to know um, why I'm saying rebuilding, Mick. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Shepparton. Uh, parents were um, fruit pickers, so. Um, Went to school and when my education expired in year 10 because I got expelled for something, uh, my parents decided to pack up and move to the big city uh, and try to um, further my my younger sister's education. Um, so was it, I was into a lot of, um, I don't know, like I danced a lot when I was young. I was into that whole, you know, dancing scene and then, Grew up um, that street culture, so they're moving to the, which you know Melbourne, um, that street culture of being on the streets, from the streets and all that, um, still stuck with me. I tried to go the right way for a bit, but um, you know relapsed, and I guess I got back onto the drinks and the drugs, and um, eventually I landed myself into prison, um, got out on a, an intensive order, like, I think it was like three years, and my CEO worker um, from Corrections referred me to Rebuild, and um, okay. that's where the journey began. Incredible. Yeah. Let's un- let's unpack it, because I think in, in saying that, it's such an incredible story, and I know you've, you've told it a couple of times, and we're blessed to hear it today. You're able to break it down for us, I suppose. Like, when you're a kid, when was the first sort of experience with, with alcohol, and, and drugs and how did that all how did that all come about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was born up in far north Queensland, Townsville, mm-hmm. um, and I support the Cowboys, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, my biological father was um, was an alcoholic ever since I could remember, um, and then so he used to beat up on my mother a lot. So we sort of ran away. I think I was five or six. Um, we ran away to Brisbane and uh, my mum was like juggling two or three jobs trying to look after me and my younger sister and I remember um, like I was grade two. I used to be left home alone. My mum would go to work, drop my sister off to daycare and I was in grade two and I was literally wagging school from then. 
Like, I'd wake up, like, I don't want to go to school, make cereal, watch cheese TV, you know, and sit there and watch TV all day. I think um, what made um, my mum want to move was there was a, a lack of, you know, male support there, not just for her, but for me and my younger sister. So it was sort of a struggle. I dealt with alcohol when I was young, and I, I remember when my mum had, like, a couple of friends over, and I think the first time I got literally drunk was when I was, like, seven or eight years old. Yeah. So it's, it's always been there since I was born. Um, moved down to Shepherd and, and that's where I met my stepfather. Um, and I had great family, like my my mum and dad. My, I call him my dad now. Like he, he was um, the first guy that I remember that took me to the park and would actually play with me. Didn't take me to the park because that's where he can go drink peace. Mm. Um, he actually took me to the park, you know, even though I was horrible at kicking the footy, he would still go and grab it, you know. Um, so it was very good then. My mum found a man and no longer saw alcohol. Um, I think it was when I got... I met him when I was nine. I, when it, The age probably between 13, 14, when you get a bit rebellious is when alcohol entered back into my life and just trying to be, you know, uh, with the cool kids and just, yeah, then it went from there and I started, I started touching the drinks and then I remember a lot of people saying I'm not good on the drinks, so I actually started touching um, the, the weed. Stayed calm but then um, I had this one psychotic breakdown and never touched it again. And it always made me paranoid. And I think it, it was so stupid because I turned to alcohol because it did the opposite. Mm. It made me fearless. Like I would just be the most biggest idiot, couldn't care less. Um, like how I committed my crime was just me being drunken and walking past the store and saying, I want to go and rob that and... Like that, in 10 seconds, I landed myself in prison. Far out. Incredible. Is the people, I suppose, when you moved down to Shepparton and you started in that risk-taking age, you're saying, from like 9 to 14, you, you obviously met some other mates. Is, was that a big factor in, in what happened, do you yeah, think? Yeah, at the start of it, I was very big in church. Um, I think from 9 to 12, very, very big in church. Um, I loved it. Uh, my parents, like, they were big in church too. Um, still big into church now, um, but I think it was 12 when I started to get to high school. When I got to high school, that's when things changed. Like, it was so different because I started hearing other kids were, you know, just getting into a lot of trouble. And I thought it was cool at the start when I was big in church. I, I knew better, but I don't know. For some reason, I just thought, you know, I wanted to be with the crowd and it was more into high school. I think year seven and eight was so bad. My detentions were so bad. I was like, I was averaging, like I was in detention four times a week. Like just, just stupid stuff, mm. not wearing uniform, not going to class, wagging school. Um, and then they initially expelled me but my mum went and fought and said no other school except me can you please take him back so they pulled me back year nine did so good 
I was like, you know, I, I pulled my head in. Even though there was um, still a bit of mates, that's when I started not getting popular, but people started accepting me, you know. And um, then year 10, I just thought, all right, I did my one year good behaviour, I'm good. And I went and had um, a bit of a fight. And, it, yeah, that was when they said, no, that this contract for you to stay good wasn't for the one year. It's mm. for the rest of your school life here. And they just, yeah, expelled me from there. And I could honestly say as soon as I got expelled, that was it. Like, it was just, I wasn't looking at a bright future. I was just like, that's it. Wow. I'm done. Was that a big moment for you? And you obviously, sounds like that was a time for you that you just thought, fuck, like, is there anything... You know, for me, like what what's going to happen yeah. at school? Did you sort of things escalate from there? Um, at the like when I went, so I went back into school, yep. and literally the principal standing there at my locker, and he's like, you know, um, I'm glad you rocked up yep. because I need you to clean out your locker. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, mate, you no longer attend here, and I was like, oh yeah, and got the whole crowd watching, thinking you're cool and all that. But my mum come and picked me up from the... She was at the farm working. And when she picked me up and she's taking me to the farm, I'm like, where are we going? She's like, you're coming to pick with me, mate. If you're not going to, you know, learn, you're going to earn. Mm. And um, I told her, oh, but I'm in my school clothes. She goes, so what? You're not at school anymore. And I realised, I was like, holy snap. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I wanted to be a big boy. Now I've got to put on the big boy pants and try to earn some money. So that sort of I, – I was working some odd jobs, but then I don't. I wasn't ready for the work life then. I just wanted to be that lazy kid, drinking, sleep, do whatever you want. So, um, yeah, it didn't really hit me till later on um, – that I wanted to do something, but it was too late. Later on down the track, I think it was um, around when I was 20, 19, mm. yeah. Because it's common, um, I suppose, for, for kids, like when you're leaving school and you get expelled, is there is that a big part of like Reboot? I know that when we were working together a while ago, back with the youth justice stuff too, a lot of those kids that were, were in those programs, they weren't actually there because they're committing crime, so it's more like preventative as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, very similar cases. Yeah. You know, young people, school isn't a place for them. Yeah. You know, authority isn't good for them. So that's a common probably, you know, team across it. So um, it's no it's no coincidence that a lot of them don't do well in school or finish school. And then when you're released from school, like, you know, you've got options, yeah? You can go and work, you know, legally or you can go find your money illegally. Mm. And then everything else around that is, you know, your peers, your friends, like, you know, yourself, you gravitate to friends, don't you? You gravitate to, to peers, you, you want to be accepted, you know? So if you're not in school, then, you know, where are you going to find that? You find it on the streets or you find it somewhere else. So a lot of the young people we would work with wouldn't have role models, good male role models as well. And um, family life, you know, um, mightn't be great. So you're spending most of your time outside of the house and inside of the house. And if you're doing that naturally, you're going to find ways of, you know, filling your time and then always going to be the positive ways. Mm. So I think a lot of young people then will make that decision, you know, to, to dabble in a little bit of crime, maybe, you know, alcohol, drink and substance use, and then it kind of escalates from there. And before they know it, it's out of hand. Yeah. And that's when we see it. Like, yes, we want to get before it, 
but there's a case as well where unfortunately you know it's too too far gone and that's when we are doing our walk down where they're you know entrenched in crime and, and they're ended up in, incarcerated and so mm-hmm. forth mm-hmm. so Ajay, when did things start escalating for you so you've left school working as a picker with your mum when did things sort of probably start going down more the the other route um that it, you know it ended up leaving you in in prison um uh, so I think it was definitely when my mom and dad moved to Melbourne. Yep. Um, I sort of went back to Shepparton and lived on, like, just bummed around. Yep. How old were you at this stage? 15, 16. Just went back by yourself? Yeah, just went back by myself. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time that, you know, I wanted to go back to. And then, like, it was the first time in my life that I was just like, I could do whatever, the, you know, I yeah. want, like... I don't have to walk around hiding that I smoke cigarettes. Like, who's going to tell me off? You're going to go tell my parents? Go on, you know. They're all the way in Melbourne. They're not going to drive down two hours. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I remember just getting into trouble, going to court, people rocking up to um, wherever I was staying because I missed court. Um, and I, I was blessed. I had so many chances. Like, I think... So th- that escalated and then something like I think I just had so much trouble in Shepparton that I ran away from Shepparton back to Melbourne. And then that's when it got like I, I, I wanted to go and um, learn a discipline. So I actually started fighting and I, I was um, doing Muay Thai like five times a week and I stuck my head in the books. And I remember just before my inter-club fight, um, I caught up with a mate again. And I shouldn't have, because it just, I remember at the inter-club fight, my trainer's like, mate, you're gassed, are you smoking again? Mm. And I'm like, yeah. And um, he actually gave me a chance. He goes, mate, if you can get fit and ready, you'll debut in the next four months. Yeah. So what was that leading? Was that like a Muay Thai, like UFC? Yeah, like yeah, what were you looking yeah, at Yeah, so it was um, Muay Thai. Obviously, the end goal was to get into UFC, but it was just like debut as an amateur in yeah. Melbourne and work your way up. Um but then I just caught up with him and I remember after that inter-club fight. So an inter-club fight is basically you go in the ring still, you got to judge, but everyone's a volunteer. Your judge is a volunteer, ref's a volunteer. Um, the striking percentage is like 80, 90%. So obviously you can't be swinging for all hell, but it's hard enough to knock someone out. Like people would get knocked out. And I remember coming from that, that drive home, I was so beat up like so beat up that the next day I didn't wake up, I just slept and then I woke up the day after and I was just like, no, nah, stuff this, went, bought some weed and then back on again. Yeah. Never went back to training. But then this time I was older, I was hanging around with some guys and sort of the most, I was, I was part of that group as the dominant force. Like the group I was in, I was one of those guys that could have a say and people would do. So it just got ruthless, you know, and it went from doing bottle runs just to, you know, get drunk to start making money. And then places that were getting hit were having security guards there and, like, it was just, you know, we couldn't care. And then eventually it just turned into burglaries mm. and and then it went far enough as to into an armed robbery. So, wow. so sorry, when, when you say this, so you've... Finished your fight, fighting, you're sort of like, no, nah, I can't do this yeah. anymore. You loop up with a bit of a crew, but now you're going to start committing some crimes together. Yep. It starts off being just some innocent robberies. 
Yeah, yeah. There's no probably no such thing as an innocent robbery. No, no, but yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it starts, just just yeah. your walk past and hey, give me yeah. a phone yeah. to. And I don't want to make it sound like we were no, like no. Ocean's Twelve, but to the point where we ran a crew out at a shopping center, and we literally had walkie talkies and. Like we had set guys wow. that would look out and you'd be on the walkie-talkie telling, oh, this guy come. And we had like a guy that would specifically handle the security guard, a guy that was like you do a handoff, that person runs with it. And if you got caught, you got caught, you know. You still get your, bit, your cut of the pay, but it became organised. It, yep. it was just, you know, your shitty little walk past and rob someone to like, oh, we're going here, we're going to hit this at this time. You know. And how how does it like for, you know to hear those stories now? You think fucking hell, that's crazy. But obviously, it you build your way up, and as yeah. you're saying, you're building your way up to these things. How did that come about? And for you, was it like did it just become the norm? Like was that the norm to these things? Did you get were you doing it for like a buzz or a thrill, or were you doing it just merely yeah. to, to survive? Nah, it was a bit of both. It was like. It was too late for me to work by the time I was thinking about it. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'm probably on every shopping centre to or whatever. And it was just like I've gone so far in that it, that's it. Like, you know, because I started off just like little things, little things, and then as as your habits get bigger, you know, so does the whatever mm. you have to do. Um, and, yeah, like... Sometimes it was the thrill. Sometimes oh, I could actually honest, honestly say by the end of it, it wasn't the thrill. It was purely to survive because I hated it. I hated yeah. the thrill. Like I hated, I hated the heat. You know, and like every day, people check Facebook. Every day, I was checking crime pages. Yeah, like, to you see know, if your photos were photos up, up. You know, if there was any heat on me, and couple of times I did and had to stay lay low for like two weeks and then go again um but yeah definitely it was by the end of it it was survival like in terms of this stuff as well and and we're not glorifying this at all we're not trying to you know pump anything up but you in Australia I feel like I think well for me especially I'm a bit detached from this world to think that this stuff actually happened like if it happens like Mm. I know we hear about on the news but you think fuck how does, does this stuff actually happen like are you doing these robberies and like actually having guns like is that like you have weapons no 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 um never got to that stage thankfully um i think it was more whatever you'd find like anything like a bat whatever um and just brute force you know like your hands um never got to that stage but um yeah is that stuff like actually you can find that sort of thing if you wanted to? You can find it if you wanted to. You you have to look and be very trustworthy. Um, but, yeah, I think more in like I've sat down and, you know, in, in prison and um, ate, ate food with guys that have literally done it with like the whole shebang, mm. you know, um, like how you see on the movies. Um but they lived very, very, very um, hectic lives. 100%. When, uh, for you, so you're at this sort of peak at the moment, you're talking about committing crimes, doing it to survive, and, you know, you have to lay low up and down. When did it all catch up? Do you remember the day it all caught up to you? Did you get caught sort of mid, was yeah. it mid-spree or was it more after the fact you, they, they caught you? Nah, um, so all my mates were getting locked up. Yep. 
for those sort of crimes or just other for things? For those crimes, yeah. um, a lot of them got locked up that I was a part of. Um, and, and how does that actually? Sorry, did, did no, you, that's I mean, how does that actually happen? Do you know? Do they catch you on the job? Do they get like you know photos nah, and they photos, find out who you are yeah, and yeah. then go and get I, you? Yeah. They definitely have a team out there like yeah. that. You got your intel team that will do all <clears> the looking for where you live, and then you got your guys um, that just get caught on the job. But most of the guys that I that I knew all got caught. Um, by the raids, like yep. they'll just come kick your door in whatever time of the morning, and you know strip you out of bed and off you go. I think for me, when that started happening, I was sort of starting in. I was the only one left, and mate, I was like drunk twenty four seven, like drinking. By that time, I remember I had like. I had a, a cupboard full of at least a hundred straights, probably even more. And I was like, for I was going to the stage where I just go grab two bottles for myself, and then off I'm going to do what I have to do during the day. And I was drunk twenty four seven, and I uh, I did a robbery. I got bailed that night, and I just didn't give a shit, and went and committed another robbery straight after that. Um. And, like, within the 24-hour span, the bail justice that had given me bail in the first place come back in and sort of looked at me weird and was like, I sort of know you, and looked, and she's like, oh, I just gave you bail yesterday, closed the book and didn't say anything. I was like, oh, aren't I getting bail? She's like, no, nah, you, you're dreaming. Well, I just gave you bail yesterday, and you went and, like, did it again. Wow. In, um, in your mind at this stage, too, are you – comprehending what's going on like are you going you just sort of assume you're gonna no, get out or you think have you ever yeah. like I knowing thought I was, you're doing I was anything get, wrong yeah i thought I, I knew i was going in but i was like oh, i'll just i'll just you know i'll just keep pushing the limits yeah keep pushing the limits and like that was so by that time i was 20 20 years old and i just had nothing going for my life and then just after like i just turned 21 and then uh -huh. like five days later i was in and um, it wasn't then, like, it wasn't until I sobered up, I left the sub um, and I went to MRC and it was like, they locked that door and I was finally there and it was like, because when you get to the sub, it's not you, you, everyone's sort of coming down. What's a sub? Is that Oh, uh, they call it the Yellow Submarine, but it's yep. um, under the Melbourne Magistrates. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's why they call it the submarine because it's under, like... Yep. So that's like the Raman... Is that the remark? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it's where yeah, if someone, if someone's obviously committed a crime and so forth. It's where they'll they'll put you there and keep you there until you know you go to court or yeah. you're you're sentenced or you're, yeah. or you're maybe you know placed in an in another facility until your court case is ahead. So like you you're underground, you don't see no daylight. So you're sort of just wigging out. Right. But it's not until you get an MRC and then you're like, oh, this is where you're gonna live. And then like, once they close that door, I was just like, shit, fuck. Like, that's it. I was like, yep. there's no more running away. Like, you know, I ran from Shep and sometimes I run back to Shep when I would get in trouble in Melbourne and this time it was like, no. Nah. Mm. I couldn't even call my mum. Like, I had to wait to get money first to be able to call my mum. She doesn't even know where I am. Oh. She just thinks this guy's going on a bender and he'll be back any time now. What goes through your head when you hit that? Like, I, I know you said then you, you start to think, fucking hell, like, 
I don't know what's going to happen, but what's the first thing that goes? Is it your parents? Is it? Yeah, parents. Um, definitely the parents. Yeah. Like, definitely, I was like, oh man, my mom's gonna. Yeah. She's either gonna come into the visiting room and whoop my ass, or she wait until I finish off my sentence, then yeah. she'll whoop my ass. Yeah. But then, um, then you just think like, oh, what am I putting them through? Yeah. And um. So I definitely, like, that was my first phone call and I remember, like, making that phone call. As soon as it was like, oh, this is the prison calling me, blah, 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 and it lets you speak, my mum was just going off her head. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, and then so my parents, and then, like, it's my first time in and, like, I'm a bit scared, you know, like... 21 years old, you know, yeah, full and, adult prison could- and, like, you watch the movies and they're like, you got to go get the biggest guy and, you know, show it. I'm like, mate, nah. Is that- <laughs> I'd rather give him my KT speed, you know. <laughs> is that, is that in all seriousness, is that really a thing, though? Because I think that's something that we all, you know, look at and we watch those movies and you think as soon as you go in, you either got to assert your dominance or... Yeah, nah, definitely not with the movies. Like, you do not assert your dominance like that, but yeah. you definitely show that you're not um, you're not easy to manipulate yeah. or be stood over. I think um, the best way to put it is just... And I hear a lot of people, and I've said it a lot of times to a lot of guys that come in, just do your time, keep your head down. Keep your head down, You yeah. know, just like don't get into the politics, don't get into the drugs. Just do your time, keep your head down. Yeah. Um, because once you start putting yourself into the politics, then it becomes like that. Yeah. Then that's when, you know, people are, you know, willing to, to do things to you just to get what they want. Yeah. Um, but if you just keep your head down and do your own thing, um, then I think you should be all right. Yeah. It's a common thing, isn't it? Like anyone we speak to and so forth, that's the kind of message that they say. You know, it's like anything else. You, you look for enough trouble, you'll find it. Yeah. Mm. In a prison, that heightens crazy amounts. So um, very common. And I think the thing as well, what knowing is remand's very different to sentenced as well. So if you're in a remand prison, most of the people in there are very, um, it's, it's not stable. Yeah. Meaning they don't know whether they're going to be, you know, given a sentence, whether they're going to be tipped to another, you know, prison, mm. yeah. whether they're going to actually, um, you know, be free. So you're not dealing, you, you don't know what's ahead of you. And if you don't know what's ahead of you, then a lot of, a lot of you know, the inmates will be, you know, focus on other things. Yeah. They're just not yeah. settled in the yeah, mind. Yeah. You know, it's so worth breaking, very different. Yeah, breaking that down because it's something that when we went out to the remand center all those years ago, I didn't quite understand yeah. too. And, and a lot of people would know this, but you got your remand center. So that's where you go to wait for your being sentenced. As you said, then that's when that happens, that's when you go off to your other prisons that other are around, prisons, yeah. you know, like your Barwons and, yeah. and a lot. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'll yeah. take and tell you, like his pathway would have been, yeah, remand and then you can, you can talk. Yeah, where, where, what yeah. was it like? So you, how long you are in remand for? And then So I was in remand for all the way from March till November. Wow. So, so. that's how long it takes to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my case was very, very tricky. Um, like one case was in the Melbourne Magistrates, the other case was in... Yeah. Melbourne County then the two judges because one judge wasn't overseeing the whole thing the two judges were both waiting on each other to sentence me yeah 
Um, and then the whole riot thing came in June. Yeah. June and like sort of slowed a lot of things down. Yeah. So we're talking about that off off camera four. You were in um, Ra- Ravenhall. Uh, MRC. MRC when yeah. the the um the big ride happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I went to Edjo that day, education, and yep. like uh, Mick was saying, um, I was focused on having a great report. Yep. So when I go in front of the judge, I can get a lesser sentence. So I was doing education, and I remember there was there was meant to be a riot the week before, which was a Friday. Yeah. There was no riot. They all stood out. Um, Ten packets of ciggies were giving to each unit. And that was it. So Tuesday, like I, I, sh- I shit you not, I was walking to Edjo and this guy goes to me, no, stay. We're having the right today. I'm like, Psh, you said that Friday, you know? And I went to Edjo, they call lunch and you wait at, you go line up at this box to get your lunch. I literally lined up at this box, heard this massive smash and everyone's like, what's going on? And I just clicked. I was like, oh, it's the right. And then I turned around to see if we we're going to get our lunch. And um, the officers had already ran. They're just like, nah, no lunch for anyone. So they're just gone, bang. <laughs> I love that your four Well, Hang on, is, yeah. is lunch still on? That would right. be the first thing I was worried about. <laughs> and, um, and then I've just turned and I'm like, I can see the gate and I can see the, the centre management place and it just gets taken over. And I just remember them taking over the canteen and then, um, all these guys come dressed in black. They just started shooting tear gas. And so we just ran. I ran and I just went, ran into the kitchen. And um, as I was saying, it was pasta Tuesday, pasta, mm. pasta everywhere. And I'm like, I'm trying to run just in case there's an officer. Sorry, I call them screws, but just in case a yep. screw was about to just, you know, hiding to come to get me. And so I'm quickly running and I, sh- I shoot, you know, I opened this door and it was like heaven, it was like clean, Bay Marie's with bacon, chips, chicken. I'm like, what the hell is this? Mate, me and some other guys were like, you know, we put the Coke machine up against the doors. We sat in there, I think it was from seven o'clock and we decided to turn ourselves in at three in the morning. And, like, we were just eating and watching the TV. Big plasma. I think it was a 100-inch up on the wall. So while everyone's riding, you guys are just in the canteen. Yeah, in the kitchen. And, like, so you got your kitchen that cooks for the whole prison. Then you got your kitchen that cooks for for the officers. And, mate, they get fed, you know, great. They get fed. Like, we opened up the fridge, defrosted a cake, ate the cake. (sighs) Made milkshakes. <laughs> that what you think, Roy? It's going to no, be no, it's not. It's not just damaged. Right. It's, like, it's more no. like a bake off. No, in, uh, a, in a good way though. That, that's, but and I think it's that what, is a nice uh, way to be, you know, yeah. hiding in a riot. And I think it's what no, yeah. no, it's like in that situation, it's just a very grave situation, yeah, and serious situation. Yeah, that was know, pretty. Crazy. I know we're, it, it's it, what you know. Sauté's experience of it is a bit more lighthearted of it. Yeah. But you're doing that because you don't want to be part of it. You also don't want to be involved in it. And there's also a safety part to that as well. So you wouldn't have been alone like a lot of other. Um, you know, um, incarcerated men at that stage where they would have been hiding out a little bit and keeping out of it. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if you're involved in that or you're seen to be involved in that, 
Well, and you're sentenced. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you could be People in there remand for something that's very low. Yeah, wow. you could be. You could be in there for something that, you know, is 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 seen as a lot of crime or you have a chance that maybe you saved your time upon when it comes to court. You're involved in that and suddenly, you know, um, that increases, you know, twofold, threefold. As, as I saw to say, maybe even five, yeah. five years get added wow. on or whatever. So it was a very interesting um, situation and obviously one that, you know, you don't want to see happening at all because there's a safety part to it too where yes. a lot of bad things are happening. 100%. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted in my life. I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Matty Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT Aaron Phillips to play as a wildcard. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Aaron down, enter now at thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com.au. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad break string play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. So from the remand and he finally gets sentenced, where do you where do you head off to? I went out to um, Fulham and that's up near Sale. Okay. So um, and and how long you had you sentenced uh, about nine months already in remand was it? Yep, about and nine they, months there. They had initially sentenced me, so they this was in the magistrate's court, and I don't know if I'll explain it. Which means, cause if if the county court had sentenced me, whatever the magistrate would have gave me would have ran concurrent. Yep, because the county is more superior. That's if he had sentenced me first, but the magistrate sentenced me. So which means whatever the county sentenced me to, on top. it's on top now. Oh, yeah. And um, they gave me another four months, which was a year all up. And I was getting sentenced again on the last two weeks of that last month from county. And I remember my... Um, so I was back out. So I went to Fulham. I said... Three months there, then I had to go back to court, come all the way back to Melbourne. And then I was just sweating. Like, I was like, man, like, I just did almost a year for nothing. And um, the judge, like, literally gave me another year running those two months concurrent. So all up, it should have been... 24 months, but because I got two months concurrent, it was 22 months. So yep. I tell everyone two years, but it was just like literally like two months under those two yep. two years. And I remember that day the judge is like, oh, I mean, my lawyer's like, oh, you know, if if we're lucky, we'll get three with a five or five with a three. So five years, 
you sentenced three years is your earliest. And I'm like, no way. I'm like, so all up four years or six years. And I remember going up and before you go in, the security guard's like, no matter what the verdict is, I need you to be calm because um, my instructions, if you are to blow up, is to put you down, like take you down. And I'm like, all right, now all good. Got up and the judge is like, oh, sentence, like considering all the factors, the riots, you've been doing good, no trouble, that the the first judge shouldn't have sentenced you. He goes, I'm just going to give you another um, 12 months running the two months concurrent. And I was happy as, like, I was so happy that, like, I jumped in the elevator, screamed, and the, the security guard's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was like, so then I end up serving, going back to Fulham and serving it all there. And at this stage as well in your mind, where are you at in terms of what where you want to be and what sort of man you want to become? Are you still considering crime like is that still something for you has it has it clicked yet to go like i want to be better or is there still no, the urges to no no uh not really like <clears throat> so i was inside and um for once in my life i was sober and, for yeah, once... and how was that by the way coming down off with alcohol like that would have yeah been... it was so shit like yeah. i was eating everything like i'll just eat bread because i needed to eat mm. um so shit and i think by the time I got to Fulham, I've already already detoxed everything, yep. trained. Um, and then I, I said to myself, like, I set a goal that I wanted to be very fit. Now, I was inside training three times a day, five times a week. I was, a, like, I was beast in it. Um, and I was like, you know what, I want to get out, play sport, find a job. But then, obviously, every now and then... Um, uh, being inside is very like um, I don't know racial. You you know when you go inside, your islanders are, will be with your islanders. Your Asians hang out with the Asians, Africans with the Africans. Um, you know even with religion, if you're Muslim, you hang around with all the Muslim brothers. Mm. So trying to stick your head down, trying to train, be healthy, but then also you got to be there for for my Islander brothers, mm. you know, if there were any politics. And trying to stay away from that, it's it's sort of hard because then you sort of let, like if I was to go in and I would hang out with them, but if I was not there for the crunch time, then they'll never be there for me. Yeah. And it was sort of like, so luckily enough, there wasn't any stages where I had to, you know, give up, whatever, but it hadn't clicked yet. Um, it, it it had clicked when I got out. Yeah. Um, so during the whole sentence, I, I never knew my mother was sick. And then when I got out, I literally walked through the gate and my mum was bold. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, what? And, you know, in my head I knew. I had known. I had known. I was just like, fuck. And... They sat me down and um, my mum was sick. She had breast cancer. And that's when it clicked for me. Like, she was, um, she was like, she ran everything in the house. Mm. And, you know, the one person that leads is now sick. And now it all falls on me. 
And I was just like, fuck. Like, all my plans, I actually had a plan to come out and probably sell more drugs. Like, I wanted to sell drugs and try to be the Scarface of Melbourne. But once I seen it, I was just like, whoosh, flew out the window and I was like, shit, what do I do now? It's like, you know, inside was all right for me because I was had no family. Like, I had no kids, nothing. I lived at home with my parents, running amok. For five, and then when I come out, it all had changed. Like, I'm not coming out as the sun, I'm coming out as the rock, mm. you know, and they needed a rock for the family and... I was just like, but yeah, that's when it finally hit me. What do you remember from that as well? Like, you did you go back and start living with your mum while she was sick and, and going through treatments? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I was trying my best not to indulge in being free, but I was still. And then, um, you know, sh- shit got serious with like my mum and, and, um, like, my dad's trying everything he can to take care of her. And I remember my mum doing the laundry. Like, she was trying to do the laundry. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you're sick. And she goes, well, if I don't do it, who is? And I was like, fuck. You know, how can you let your mum say that? You know, you're meant to be... You promised her when you seen her that you were going to change. And still you're letting your old lady who's got breast cancer, who's only probably hanging on by a thread, try to come do the washing for the whole family. So... It was hard and then, like, I, I don't know, I just knuckled down and I remember my um, CO officer told me to go to Colton. He goes, there's this job there you might like because we already tried another place. I didn't want it. And I remember going there and um, I had to leave early because I had to take my mum to treatment. And they go, oh, hold up real quick, real quick. We'll just do an interview now. And the boss come in and he goes, two minutes, tell me why I should hire you. And um, it was just like, Tch. and I dropped this Tokyo Drift line on him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Which one? So, you know, when he says, oh, I don't care if you're in bed with Beyonce, when this phone calls, you pick it up. Yeah. And I was like, mate, I don't care if I'm in Sydney. If you want me here in the next six hours, I'll be here in three. I love it. And he's like, <laughs> and I could see the case managers in the back like, ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was like. You were playing with Fast and Furious life. And like, um, yeah, so, and like, <laughs> I went back, took my mum to treatment and. It was real hectic because, like, there's a process that goes on with rebuilding. I'm not trying to say, like, but it was very, very, like, I needed, at that time of my life, like, I needed money. I needed money now. And, mm. like, a um, couple weeks went by. I remember it was, like, this one day my mum's worrying about money and rent and, and it really hit me. And, like, like, I remember crying that day because... I wanted to end my life. I was like, man, I was like, fuck, this sucks. Your mum's sick. You got out of prison. All your mates have moved on. You got nothing to your name. You're wearing old shitty clothes from two years ago that can't fit you. You can't even buy new clothes, you know? And I'm like, my life sucks right now. And I really wanted to end it. And just kept picturing in my head, like, I end it. Then my mum's gone. Who's going to look after my sisters and my dad? I was like, fuck, suck it up, suck it up. And I went drinking with my mate and I remember calling up about doing the job 
and this job would have gave me some money within the thousands or something. Like a, like a, like a proper job. Like a criminal job? Yeah, 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 proper criminal job. And I'm like, and this guy who was my best mate, is, who now is my brother-in-law, yeah. was like, no. Nah. He goes, no, nah, I'll come, I'll give you the money, you pay whatever. And I go, no, 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 man, I can't do that. He goes, let me do this job. And he goes, no, 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 I'll come over tomorrow, we'll talk about it. And I remember sitting there, it was Wednesday, and I was like, I was just like, I looked up to the stars and I said to God, I'm like, God, I go, you know, I don't ask you for much. I go, but when I do, you know, I always deliver on my end. I said, if this job doesn't call me up from rebuild on Friday, they got till Friday, Friday, end of business, three o'clock. If they don't call me up, then I'm going like, I'm going to be the biggest criminal you ever seen, but I'm going to get some money, you know, and I'm going to make sure that if I go away, I'm going to make sure my family's set. The next day, my brother-in-law rocked up. He had money and he goes, here, take this, pay it. I go, no, no, all goods already, you know. I've already said to myself, made a deal with myself. Friday, I woke up and I shit you not, nine o'clock, Rebuild calls me and goes, you start Monday. And I was like, Phew. I was like, mate, I mean, like, if you're not religious, then there's something to go on by. Yeah. But literally, like I said Friday, close a business, no call, then that's it. It's it's so hard, and I suppose you battle this, Mick, mm. a lot because you hear a story like that and you think crime is not the answer to, to anything, is it? But when you ha literally have no other choice, yeah. if your mother's sick, yeah. you have no money, you have no nothing else going. Like it, empathy plays a massive role in this because you can actually see, you know, the two sides to the story. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like war, war of view. I always say it's a war of view. Like you don't know until you step <clears> in your <throat> footsteps, so you hear it. Like well, a lot of us are privileged. Like we don't, we don't come without mistakes, and we don't come without facing, you know, adversity and so forth in life. But you know, we can be quick to judge, and we can be quick to to see someone in, in one way. Well, you, you don't know what's behind that, mm. um, and you don't know until you tell you tell your speaker, and that, that's okay too. Like, that's natural, you know, but I suppose in the work that we do is we get the opportunity to see a little bit behind it, a little bit more of it. And and the story then, it kind of adds up then. You kind of go, okay, I know. But then you think, how are you still here? Like, how have you survived under what that? You've just heard a, like a portion of Sade's story, right, from when he was young all the way through. And he's just battled, you know, saying things. Now, he hasn't been an angel, not by no means, you know, and he's done things that, you know, he's paid a price for and, you know, continue to. You know, and if you ask him, I suppose, again, he'll say, that, you know, crime doesn't pay and it hasn't for him, you know. But you look at the situation, you go, well, what would you do in that situation? Like, if you had no money, if you had, you know, you're at the lowest point and you had to do something to survive, would you choose to do that? And if you had to do it for your family, if you bring that element into it, who's going to say, I wouldn't do that for my family? We do anything for our families. We do anything for that. So these are the things that you suppose what we try and do is try and... Um, by no means sugarcoat it, by no means condoned behaviours, but just to say, look, just hold on, take a second, and then just let's walk with these young people because there's stuff behind there that we need to unpack and that we need to help them with and that we can then, you know, help them to change. Because they have all the, you know, abilities. Some of them just don't know how to use them in a positive way. Mm. You know, they all have transferable skills. We talk about transferable skills. Well, we spoke about the, the yeah. operation before with the walkie talk. Like, no, I'm not yeah. making light no, of that situation, but you actually know how to work as a team. You know how to communicate. 100%. It's just putting it into the right actual channel. You yeah. take leadership. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you might have a team underneath you. You take leadership. You know, mm. you can manage a budget. You can do all that. Yeah, but you're doing it in the wrong way. You yeah. might be a drug dealer. You know, you might be whatever. That, that's, that's one way. So the skills that they are, 
What we do is try and say, okay, how can we take them and show you how you can put them into a positive way and show you that you don't have to revert to the illegal way of doing it. And in, in Sato's case, we were lucky. We would have never known that. I never, we didn't no. know that that was the decision. We didn't know he was sitting there making a deal with himself on that. We were going through a process like everything else where we have to hire people through police checks and through everything else. Um, so it was just a timing thing, yeah. which is natural for everyone. But it's a, it, that timing is a sliding door you know, where a week, a day could have changed his life forever and we wouldn't yeah. be sitting there. He wouldn't yeah. be sitting there. It's crazy, isn't it, though? You know, talking about, you were talking about religion. Like, I'm not personally religious, but I, be, mm. I believe in the universe. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I do believe when you put your mind and you want to go somewhere, it does yeah, things yeah. to open up. 100%. Which is, which is crazy. The, um, with, as well, with, with Bridge and, um, and Rebuild in particular, there's a really interesting stat around re- um, recidivism. Is that the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, 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 yeah. So reoffending, basically. Reoffending, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so like, you know, over the, the time period we've been doing it, like the, and it, it changes, but the average, you know, you would hear, you know, um, some statistics thrown around or some numbers or data that would say that, you know, in the first four months of a person, you know, a young person or a person leaving um, prison, that it's, you know, over 50% of them will reoffend. And that can be 52.6 or yep. it can be moving around whatever it is in that year or whatever. And what we know is that when, you know, they come and work for Rebuild or they're part of the Bridge Project and so forth, and whether they're in our programs or whether they're employed by us, we can reduce that to under 5%. And um, that's a figure that we're looking at at the moment again. Um, obviously, because we're now working with a higher cohort of that yeah. are more complex needs. Because yeah. we've shifted from just um, a lot of the time we're working with at risk. We work with at risk, but predominantly now we're working with people that are coming from the from the prison system. Yeah. And to hire someone in the prison system and keep them, you know, from reoffending is a you know is a higher you know difficulty rate in that. So we're we're, we're under five percent. Um, but yeah, which is which is it shows that when we when they're with us, when we wrap around their support, when we have that guidance, and when employers and everyone else believes in what we do and supports what we do, then we can make significant change. It's awesome. What, um, what was it like for your first day at, um, at Rebuild? What was it like straight away? Like, you know, there's, there's obviously the, <laughs> yeah. the um, Cinderella story and you yeah. loved it and it changed and it was nah, fantastic, nah. but I can imagine it would have been ups and downs. Yeah, no, nah, first day got rained off. <laughs> first day got rained off, so I was like, wait, you know, this is good. Um <laughs> Second day, hard work, hard work. But I had that drive. Yeah. Uh, that drive. Um, so I was just like, I wanted to soak up everything. Like for once in my life, I wanted to work. I wanted to be a working class yeah. man. You know, I wanted to go to work, wake up every day and wear a high-vis and, you know, um, feel basically legit. Um, there were highs and lows. So the first low was basically when my mum died. So I think it was like two months after I started, she um, she passed away, and that was the first low. Um, in, in a sense, like um, like it was low for it was low when I see my sister. So I remember my sister. My auntie was at my house and she was waking me up and she's like, your sister's on the phone. Now, my sister's only four years younger than me um, and I was, what, 23 at the time? She was 18 or something, 19. And um, when I got to the hospital, when she, she was on the phone crying and I just said, it's all right, I know what's happened. Yeah. And when I got to the hospital, that's when I was at my lowest. Like, I was just like, fuck, it's... It's happened. Um, 
and then from there it was just numb. Like, um, I think the only other time I ever felt something was when they actually put a coffin into the ground. I was like, I'm never going to see her again. Um, but then I had to quickly snap out of it. It was like, you know, and I think it was more so me being fair to myself. It was like this whole time your mum was sick, it was like, you know, your sister and your dad looked after your mum. They didn't tell you because they didn't want you to go crazy inside. So it was like, you know, you don't get to mourn now. You let your sister and your little sisters and your dad do that. You got to keep the family going. Mm. So it was like, I would have came back a week later, but then I felt sick, like I actually got sick. And then um, come back after that and just went back into work and just kept grinding. Um, a lot of like high moments was like, got my first car. Um, but then there was this moment like, I remember, like, I don't know what we were doing, but like, the the burden had faded, like the fire of, you know, wanting to do great yeah, had faded yeah. and everything's catching up now. The fatigue is coming and I remember I was doing a job in the south side somewhere and I, I was crying. Another time I cried. I'm going to sound like a soup body. Oh, mate, I cried way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I literally cried. I'm like, why are you working? Why are you working? And then I said to myself, that's right, because you got a family to take off. And I was just like bang got that burn again and like man it was um like yeah there's been a lot of highs and lows like straight after like a couple months after my mom died like we we weren't getting evicted but the lease was up and like um they were telling us you had to move out and within two weeks i had to find a house for my sisters and and my dad and i'm like what the hell like like in the same year, like oh, you know, the old lady passing, I'm like, this happens, and it was just like kept battling and battling, and I think the main thing that I had in my corner was work. Like, as long as I don't know what it was, but as long as I went to work and I, I, I did my best, everything worked out. Yeah. Like, like we end up getting him into a house, and then we've moved again, moved again, and in saying that, like, it's not all just me. Like, um. Obviously, we got rebuild support there, but also my sister and my wife now, um, they like, like they help run the household as well. Like, yep. it's not just all me, but a lot of the low times at work, you know, crew leaders gave me support, but also my wife. Mm. You know, to, they weren't like cuddling me or nothing, but they were giving me great advice, like keep going. Yep. Keep going, like stop now. You know, there's that saying: you're halfway, you're halfway through, and you've already had the pain. You might as well get the reward. Otherwise, yeah. if you stop, all you just got was the pain. Yeah, fuck, so, I like that. It's and it's, it's yeah, and it's one mountain as well. Like in this time, um, you saw he had to come to the legal guardian of his two younger sisters. Yeah, like, and we're forgetting as well. He's, he's 23 years of age. Yeah, he's just been released from prison, literally. You know what? A year, a year prior, probably six. How long was it between? Yeah, a, probably six months. Six yeah. months, right? So six months out of prison, in the new job, like turning your life around. You know, you, you know, his mother passes away, which you know he he calls, which I love the term, the captain of the ship. You know, and 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 then he has to step up and do that, and then we become a, a legal guardian of his two 
sisters and then move house and then try and find them schools and all that. So I, I suppose where this would be a really big problem would be if you hadn't had support. Yeah. So that's where we were able to come in. That's where that's where the, the support of Rebuild, the crew leaders, the manager, everyone in that team, um, which we call a family, yeah. you know, is able to, to look after him and get around him. Like he's obviously got to still turn up for work and do his job, but he knows that we understand what he's going through. He knows that we're not going to like, you know, we're going to keep on him. Because I think people have this thing about, you know, being tough on crime and being tough on young people that do that. Yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, you can people will say throw away the key and do all that. What we're doing is being tough on re- rehabilitation. We're being tough on that one. So with Sarte, like we're we're there and helping them, but we're also educating and saying, like, you know, this is why you need to stay with this. And and he knew he, he had his family to look after, but we also knew the importance of that too. And I think he, you know, anyone else in that position probably would have reverted back. Yeah. Without it. Because that would have been the easy way. And that's for a lot of our young people when the, the shit hits the fan then there's, it's the easy way to go, I'll just go back and do okay. what I used to do because that's what I'm known for. That's what I'm comfortable in and that's what everyone expects of me. Yeah, mm. and that's what we have to try and say, no, that's not, that's not acceptable. Like, no, you don't have to be that. And that's where a lot of trust in us has to come into it as well to know that we've got your back on this, but you know, we're not going to let you go away because that's what everyone else has done with you. We're going to keep at you and keep at you to bring you back in to show you that you've got a better life ahead of you. Yeah. No, I love, I love the point you said earlier. Oh, there's two points I really love that you said, and I think it's like been a massive, massive part of like your story and anyone's story that goes through such hardship is when you said like it got to the stage where you just realised yourself because you can be told things a million times, but until it clicks with you mm. and you you know you walked out and you saw your mum and I think she was doing the washing and and then you just said fuck me like how can I let my mum do this like and it finally sunk with you, you realised it, and then you changed yourself which mm. is what you need to be commended for which I, I know that you're extremely proud of and it's been incredible to hear the other part that i really love too is when you said you're at work and you're crying and you're like fuck this i can't do it and then you're like why am i doing this and then you're like, you doing it for your family and i think that's like something that i've learned lately <clears throat> not not on as, as much of a serious note but like you want to look after yourself you want to be the best version of yourself but if you do it for yourself it's so easy to let yourself down yeah you're just like fuck it's just yeah. me like whatever but if you flip it and you go like i want to be the best version of myself for my family then you go oh fuck like i can't let them down yeah and yeah. it, it hurts so much more so yeah. i love that part i think it's just like such an important message that you did that for them but in in, in knowing that it helps you to be better for, for them yeah definitely yeah and in the long run it it is the best thing for you yeah but you're right you know like if it was just me, it's like ah, whatever, whatever, you know. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. Mm. I'll give my own slap on the wrist. Yeah, it's easy to let yourself down, but not, yeah. not your family. Yeah. yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, what's next for you, my friend? What do you do? What's your goals? What's the what's happening at the moment? What's happening in your life? Obviously, working with rebuild. You were yeah. saying before you're working out at Cranbourne. Cranbourne at the moment. Um, looking up. So I look after the major projects yep. that go on within rebuild so originally i started off as a participant yep. and um as a crew member worked my way up to is it would you say constr- is it construction is that the main yeah gig? yep yeah, yeah. commercial so, construction it would be commercial construction and commercial uh, maintenance yeah is what rebuild is yeah. um but back then it was very minor stuff 
like handyman, you would say, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> it. It started off as your handyman yeah. business, you know, with, a, with one crew and two people. Yeah. And um, one crew leader. And it was like, we'll cut some grass. We'll do that around, you know, YMCA, because YMCA Victoria is where yep. it rebuilt it. That's where at the Carlton. We should, Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but then it kind of, you know, uh, um, as it grew and so forth, we started to, to move and, 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 you know, grow the model as well. And, and now, like, we're up to, I think it's, 13 crews and the, the goal is to have 15 crews um, and then 20 young people at any time on our books because um, there's plenty of work like we're now working on all the large infrastructure um, level cross removals of projects um, which then you know obviously is gaining more employment and yep. more jobs for us so, yeah. so does the government or like do businesses give the work and then rebuild comes in or do you tender for the job yourself like how um, is that all process? no no so the, so if you look at all them large projects there'd be you know your you, you know your big tier ones would be yeah. tendering for them so you'd have your like a John Holland your yeah. Lee your Icons and what they would do is they'd win that we'd be part of that and then so, yeah yeah because there's a social procurement spend on it so sure. every yeah, yeah so like a 3% has to be on, on each tender which is which is great yeah. which means that they have to look then to, to social enterprises and that's where rebuild comes awesome. in so yeah. when they win the work then they give us a package of that um, for whatever it would be and then we would do like the, the landscaping um, grounds maintenance and so forth for them projects yep. as well yeah and that's where you know we crew that's where we would be then able to you know the more business we have and um, the more young people we can then employ and so forth so yeah, but yeah. sorry so you can no, tell them a little know. bit about your journey that was yeah, just a yeah. Bit of a no, no. It's, it's good to set the scene yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, and it def- definitely helps out when I explain it <laughs> but, um, uh, so I was a crew member then I moved up to a crew leader and that's where, like, you got your crews, um, like, 50, so a crew leader and a crew member is considered a crew or even a crew leader and two crew members. Um, and then you work one-on-one with the young guys and, and help mentor them. But I think uh, within the last year, I became a leading hand. So um, I deal more so with the crew leaders than the crew members now and just with the major projects getting them all sorted making sure it all runs smoothly um sometimes i'm in the office um assisting our ops manager or even our manager um but at this stage of my life um like you could see how far the company has grown yeah i just want to keep continue to grow with the company as well some good so, corporate messaging you've got there yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah he's after the big job yeah uh, you know, <laughs> who knows yeah, man I, like i remember someone asking me what do you want to see in the future and i i broke it down to him i said hopefully i live long enough but within the next 50 years at least we're you know um, statewide like along the whole east coast of yeah. Australia you know from all the way like if we can hit from Cairns down to Tasmania um, you know they'll be good but that's within the next 50 years yeah. and that's where I, I'd i love to see my career go with this company yeah. I love doing what I do um, uh, you know I love seeing the young people come through and you know, you have your ups and downs with life and you have your ups and downs with the young people. Some people make it, some people don't. But when you do see the people that do make it, a young guy started today. Just before I come here and I dropped him off just up at the a rail project that I did before and I showed him. I said, I led all this. He goes, oh, yeah. And then I said, I can take you wherever you want to go. I just need you to be honest and I need you to put in. And he goes, oh, yeah, where can you take me? I go, mate, if you want to work on the rails and earn that big money, you can go there. He goes, why didn't you go there? And I said, because I like waking up in the morning and feeling good about what I do. Mm. And he goes, 
True that, true that. Oh, and, that's awesome. and that's, and he's like, he's not only, he's probably still understanding himself. So, like, he's a leading hand. He's looking after a lot of the jobs. He's a mentor to these young people. Over Christmas, he, for the two weeks everyone's on leave, he was the person in the hot seat. So if you think about it in the time frame that he's gone from, you know, from prison to being, you know, a crew member, um, crew leader, leading hand, um, Zate was looking after Rebuild for a two-week period over Christmas. Now, if anyone asks us, like, what's the success of Rebuild and what does it look like? You could say, ah, oh, dollars this and we're running jobs here and we're doing all that. To me, that's the essence. To me, that is it. If there's a young person who is actually, oh, he's ringing me, I'm ringing him because there's something going on, he's going, oh, mm. I just need some voice and something like that. And I'm ringing him going, do you honestly know this is amazing? Like, I had to take a second and go, you're in charge here, mate. Mm-hmm. And you're ringing. Like, this, this is, it, that's exactly what we should be doing. That's exactly what it should have been, what it's meant to do. And if that's, that's a level of success that I, I think is, that says everything about it. It's awesome. Yeah. Getting a bit, a bit teary, even thinking it, mate. It's awesome. <laughs> Cheers, You've mate. done an incredible job. Thank you. Yeah. I told you I cry more than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's the, just on that last bit about the mentorship stuff, like how have you found that with young guys coming in? I know you saw the guy this morning and we're doing yeah. that. Is that something that's super passionate about? You've been there, you've done it, you've yeah. seen it. Um, definitely passionate about, but also like, I know, like, I know if I, if, if I stay here, there'll be a lot of good done from my story mm-hmm. and from my journey as well. You know, it's, and not that the crew leaders that we have on board, are hopeless, they're great. They're, they're a lot of them, all of them are great. Not a lot of them, all of them are great. Everyone in the rebuild team. But I know what i got to offer. Now, I don't have a trade. I'm not, I'm not a chippy. Uh, like all our crew leaders have a trade that they're, the, that they're good at. But I think what makes me, a, not a bit ahead, but what I can bring to the table is that, I can come down to the level when, you know, like who who wants to be told from someone that's never ever walked the path, yeah. you know? Like someone, imagine, and it's probably gone so far, but imagine ScoMo coming to tell someone, a prisoner, mate, I know what you've been through. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he'd probably try it. You know? <laughs> he would. And like, I'm sure he works hard and everything, yeah. but like, I know when I talk to someone, I'm like, they sort of got no excuse. Like, you yeah. can't tell me, you don't know what I've you've been, been through. You've been there, yeah, you've done it's it. like, no, I have. Yeah. you just got to, you got to push. Um, I know we've took up a lot of your time today, but a question and always That's a theme right. of the show that, you know, we always talk about is like moments in, moments that are bad, you know, lot, um, short term. So like, you know, you've been through all this hardship and, you know, these incredibly bad things have happened and whether it be of fault of your own or, you know, un- unforeseen circumstances and you look back now and you think, fuck, some of these things were actually blessings that have helped change yeah. my life. And you look back on them, you think that was actually, you know, incredible. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot. Um, the biggest question people ask is like, oh, do you regret prison? I'm like, no, nah, it was actually, like I said, the first time I got sober in, in a while. Like, mm. And without prison, you say about a lot of things, but honestly, without prison and that, that, if I didn't get locked up that day, it wouldn't have set the path of me being here today. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have got that sentence. I wouldn't have seen that judge. I wouldn't have met my, you know, correctional officer. He wouldn't have heard. He he had heard of Rebuild. He didn't know about Rebuild. He just said, I heard about it. Give it a, you know, caught it up. Hey, I heard you doing this. And, like, as much as it was a bad, like, 
you know, it was a bad thing to happen, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Like, I honestly say, like, you know, if I didn't go to prison, I would be dead right now. Incredible. Um, so, and what yeah. age are you? Uh, 28. 28? Yeah. So you are you 29 in, this year? No, not next year. Next year, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm 29 this year. So you oh, lived a life, you think of it that, like, you think of the life that you've already lived and, and what's been in it, you yeah. know? And it's only yeah. beginning for you. Like, it again, is, yeah. it's... it's, it's it, and like I already I, have leadership in, oh, you're like, up in that role. Like, it's 100%. incredible. 28 years of age. He displays leadership every day. Like, yeah. he's, he inspires me, he inspires everyone else, yeah, he inspires the team. Like, we come to walk, well, how can I get inspired by this guy? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why, what, how can I, like, <laughs> throw a big head here, got yeah. But how can <laughs> I complain about anything? How can, like, you know, if people say, what for is you? It's like, well, yeah. people like Sartre um, and all the rest of the young people that come to you, they form you up. If I see, yeah. them, if you come in and you get to talk to them, you get to see them and see what they're doing, you know, that's like, you know, sometimes you have to think, you know, gratitude and you have to think about what you're doing. Like, in a role that we do, yes, it's challenging and tough, but when you see someone change their life, when you see someone change their family's life, when you see it work, it, it's nothing better. Like yeah. it, you just go, God, I just want more of that. You know what I mean? I want to, we want to give more people a platform to change yeah. their lives and hopefully change the conversation for communities and people out there as well about what we do and that people can change if they're given the opportunity and, and, and the chance and they shouldn't be discarded or, or said they're, they're hopeless or they, you know, they shouldn't be helped. Everyone needs it. You know, no one in life goes without making mistakes. Yeah. And I think you answered the start a little bit. Like crime as well, and, and one thing I've learned is it doesn't necessarily pin itself to people that are in poor social economic backgrounds or whatever. We work with people that have come from really good families, really good education, yeah. everything in their life is going right. And something happens, they make a decision, which decisions are in moments, they split, um, split decisions they make in a second, changes their life forever. And you're kidding yourself if you think that you ever that you know that it mightn't happen to you. Yeah. It could happen to you. And if it does happen to you, then you're gonna want someone to help them. You're gonna have to ask yourself, like, who's gonna help my my son, my daughter, my brother, my my nephew? Who's gonna do that? I know I have kids, I know if that happens, I'd want people, I'd want rebuild, I'd want bridge projects, yep. I'd want all these other social enterprises doing that. Because I know that, that is their, that's what they're gonna do, and I know they're gonna give everything they are to change your life. You're gonna need them. Well, that was that actually reminds me of the the story that we um, at the the lunch when we were there of a young man I've, I've forgotten his name off the top of my head but his story was was a little bit different on the contrast but had um, drink driving with a friend yeah and um, crashed his car correct yeah and the the passenger is you know one of his best mates passed away he went to jail yeah made it very hard for him to sort of transition out so there's some other stories of, mm. of people that are, you know working in rebuild 18 years of age go to the pool yeah. after a football game who hasn't done it made a bad decision got into the car yeah you know a lot of people do every weekend absolutely yeah. absolutely and then everything that changes from that is 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 crazy hey yeah. um with rebuild as well if businesses if anyone's listening out there wants to get involved how yeah. can they support if they've got businesses can you you know, help out in that way like yeah, what's yeah. the what's the way to go about it um so look one of the great things about rebuild is our business a pipeline of business is really strong it's really good so like we have a lot of good businesses coming up there's ways definitely that you can support like one today dylan even giving us this platform to speak couldn't thank you enough yeah, because, you know, we know um, the work that we do and we just want to make sure that other people can know that, you know, the work that we do. Um, 
probably some other ways that we could look at is you now we're, we're obviously actively looking to try and bring on sponsors to the business and we have a lot of overheads a lot of stuff that we generally can't generate income against you know and like it could be uniforms could be the training that we put in so I talked about putting people through rail tickets yep. and all that so like we're looking to have active we're having conversations but we're looking for people that can come in and maybe support the work that we're doing um, and maybe through sponsorships and so forth to help us to be able to put more people into employment and cover them overheads that we that we struggle yearly to put a, a cost against as well but look conversations come and talk to us you know you'll see us on www.ymcarebuild.org.au or on ymca underscore um, rebuild on instagram you know i'm happy to leave my my details here if there's businesses out there if there's people out there who want to help and there's loads of ways you can help just call us we have an online shop that sells products that are made in the prison and so you can do that you know because because other thing is people go like how can i help well you can help that way yeah, um, you can listen to our podcast, Time to Rebuild, yep. um, which I co-produce and co-host with Mark Wilson, and, and you can hear stories like Sauté and more stories, but also other stories from the justice system, you know, from politicians, from police, from people in prison as well. So any one of them ways, mate, Heaps. is perfect for us. Love it. Well, that'll all be in the show notes as well, so make sure you check it out. Um, I'm sure everyone's been as, as inspired as I have today of, of what you've both been able to do you, yourself, mate. You've been doing this for a long time, so... Thank you to Appreciate you. It. It's been beautiful to know you, and I'm sure it's just beginning for all of us, mate. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to forget about what I promised you as well. Okay, no, I'm going to sort you out. It'll sure. be good. We'll get you back sure. into prisons as well, Dil. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to soon for sure. Um, thanks so much, boys. Appreciate the story. Thank thanks, Dil. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you liked the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, leave a review, or even share with your friends. The show is produced by myself and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Films is responsible for audio and visual production. The show is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad break string play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble.